This episode is sponsored by Audible, the leading provider of spoken word entertainment all in one place. Right now, you can get a free 30-day trial by visiting audible.com slash splain or text splain to 500-500. That's 500-500. As an Audible member, you will get one credit every month good for any title in our premium selection. That means the buzziest new release, a revered classic, or a New York Times bestseller like Axiom's End. Those titles are yours to keep forever in your Audible library, which you can listen to while lounging around the house, washing the dishes, or on your stupid little walks that you have to do in order to get back in shape because the stress of the pandemic has added an extra little tire around where your stomach used to be, and you used to be able to just take it easy for a little while and your body would bounce back, but now you're pushing 40 and nothing seems to work. And also, also, you have to scale back on red meat, which apparently includes pork, but I always thought it was white meat because of the ad campaign in the 90s, and honestly, you guys, I don't know how many more lies I can take at this point. It's just too hard. You can also get access to our popular Plus catalog filled with original entertainment, guided fitness and meditation, and podcasts, including ad-free versions of your favorite shows. But we all know, without ads, this podcast would be like just like any other podcast. It's all included with your membership, no credits needed. Again, go to audible.com slash splain or text splain to 500-500, that's 500-500 for a free 30-day trial. All right, everybody, welcome to the Musical Splitting Podcast. I am your host and Nexus event survivor, Kava Teherian. And I am the alligator version of myself, <laughs> Lindsay Ellis. I wonder what the alligator version of me would be like. Probably cranky and also Just sitting probably in not a terribly tub. dissimilar. Yeah, right? <laughs> As a hat, scale, yeah, <laughs> scales instead of hair. That's basically like the only difference I would say between. For those the two of you of us. who have not been uh, watching Disney's Loki, um, first of all, where have you been? Yeah, where have you been? <laughs> what are you doing? Se- <laughs> second, get a gator. <laughs> it's funny how much that little gator brings me joy. It's just a random thing with a, with <laughs> yeah. horns, but I'm like, this thing's oh, yeah, delightful. There, there's one guy I used to know that has been like decided to make his brand being too good for the gator, and it is like, my god. This is a losing battle. <laughs> of, all, of all the hills to die on. <laughs> gator be lame. Okay, yeah, that'll make uh, you some friends. Anyway, speaking of gators, that's the worst transition ever, but I'm going to do it anyway. This week... Do you know who likes rain? <laughs> do you know who likes water? water? <laughs> rain, gators. gators. They like rain. They like singing in the rain, if you will. I'm singing in the rain. Just singing in the rain. Uh, that's right. Today we're going to talk about a movie that I have not really seen and you, so you've just not seen it or you just don't remember it. No, I haven't seen it. Okay. So we're going 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 double blind. blind. This is a new, this is a new format for us today is that neither of us have seen it. Uh, and it'll be really interesting for you, the audience to hear us stumble through our (laughs) backstory about analysis of it because we don't know much. Yeah. Although speaking of stumbling through things we don't know anything about, (laughs) uh, we also have another announcement of sorts. As we were recording the last episode, Moana Princess, while we were uh, not recording, we were shooting the shit either before or after we stopped, said something about like, wouldn't it be funny if Kaveh did the audiobook for my second <laughs> book, uh, considering there's a character, A, named after him, B, that he, uh, he has like about half of the uh, point of view chapters. Mm-hmm. And I think Kaveh said something to the tune of like, ha ha, yeah, ha, ha. <laughs> <laughs> that would be fun, too bad, but uh, 
And, and I was so, like, oh no, I'm here again, where I sort of half jokingly agree to something. And then the next thing I know, <laughs> we're making well, an announcement. <laughs> well, yeah. So it's not that he was the only person who auditioned, but he was the only audition that everyone unanimously agreed on. So the I was like, very demanded careful. it. Yeah, people demanded it because I was very careful about my double blind studies. I went in, like, I was just basically like, hey, uh, like editors and like assistants and people who have no idea who this guy is. Uh, would you tell me which cover you prefer? <laughs> <laughs> and they were like, number two. And I, I was like, okay, one. shoot. Yeah. Because I, I was like, I, you know, my nepotism is real and strong and yeah. I didn't want it to like influence it. But basically like the, uh, you know, senior engineer at Macmillan decided that his read was great. And so he's going to be doing the audio book for my second. I book. had no help. I 100% got this job based on my skills. Yeah. Well, no, I did. Yeah. I was like, you got help. I said, Hey, listen to a few audio book samples. <laughs> For 10 minutes. I don't think I even listened for 10 minutes, to be totally oh, honest. Yeah. I just sort You're of like, was I like, I know I how got, to go yeah, with this. I got, I got this gist. Yes. Yeah. But anyway, no, it'll be really fun. You know, she pre-order it so you can hear <laughs> Kavit do some, <laughs> you can hear him read some like alien shit, some really graphic sex scenes. It'll Uh-oh. be really funny. I haven't even gotten that far yet. But okay. Yes. I, and thank you guys <laughs> who listen. <laughs> no. <laughs> I'll, I'll, no, I'm just like yeah, you joke, but oh god, all right. <laughs> no, yeah, so it's like as I, no, as I, as I was like rereading it, I was like, oh my god, goodness. All right, we can market this. All we right. can market this. All right, I'll have to do it as smooth as possible. Yeah, oh, yeah. So, yeah. This is like coffee after dark. It's like ad read, but for <laughs> yeah. eight hours. It's an eight hour ad read. Eight is hour what it'll ad feel read. Like. Yes. Yeah. yeah, it'll be great. So for people who like listening to coffee talk, have we got a book for you? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna say thank you to everybody who always comments on the ad reads being good. It's it's kind of like half a joke but it does boost my confidence i do like Mm -hmm. hearing that people enjoy it so that's part of why i felt comfortable even you know trying to audition for this in the first place so thank you guys a whole new career podcaster now audiobook reader yeah we'll see hopefully this will take off and then i'll be doing audio yeah maybe it'll get award nominated like the first one because uh, oh, like the first book, well, yeah, we got uh, nominated for an Audi, which is like the Oscars for audiobooks. Um, I thought it was a car. <laughs> yeah, that too. And it's almost spelled the same. Uh, but yeah, so we lost to uh, David Diggs. But, you know, oh, if you must lose. Hamilton King, yes. <laughs> yeah, All right. if, if you must lose. If you must lose to yeah. somebody, at least. I mean, just some... basically going in. It's just like, because like David Diggs was not only a narrator for that book, he was also the co-writer. Uh, so, you know, it's just sort of like, well. Again, if you must lose. General Lafayette can take it. We, are, we yeah, accept. Yeah. We'll, we'll accept it. Um, yeah, I'm very the excited for this. Yes, Hamill Thread. That's a, we, we shall never speak of Lin-Manuel Miranda again until he writes another musical that we're going to review. Yeah, and then um, we'll compete with him for that audiobook too. <laughs> anyway, Singing in the Rain. Anyway, Sing Singing in the Rain. <laughs> notes. I'm going to go yeah. to the notes section. That This is like, again, double blind. Let's see what have we got yeah, here. Yeah, yeah. I I guess, honestly, like, I always kind of avoided this movie because I had a friend in high school who was a little too into it. Mm. Oh, you had a friend that was really into musicals that were really, like, too into music, into a musical. Interesting. What's that like? Do you have a thing (laughs) where when a person you're close to is really into a thing, you want to run screaming away from it? Yes. So Uh, that was... I, I think I've talked about this before. It was, like, Kill Bill in college. 
mm-hmm. where like yeah. everybody was so obsessed with Kill Bill that I just had this visceral mm-hmm. reaction to it. Where I'm like, I've never watching. I've since watched it and it's yeah. I, I enjoyed it, but it was just so annoying how much like yeah, people yeah, yeah. They're, they're like it's mine, like they own it, and it's sort of just it puts yeah. No, you off Tarantino to it. in general, especially like in film school, like I had that whole thing like with Tarantino, but especially with Woody Allen. Mm-hmm. Although I don't feel too bad about running screaming away from yeah, that. Yeah, right. I was like, that <laughs> seems like the wise move <laughs> to have done in so retrospect. Yeah, Tarantino, Woody Allen, and what was the third one? That everyone had a boner for Kubrick, in school. I guess. Kubrick, everyone has a boner for. I was going to say Spike Lee, but that is a uniquely NYU thing, and I was absolutely one of those people. So, uh, my well, I guess we'll read notes, and then I guess, and then I can talk about my history with this movie, which is not really uh-huh. history, just yeah. a funny story. The history of the concept of this movie. The concept of this movie, uh, singing in the rain. Or sorry, sing in, sing in. much Jeez. like our app musical splain in with no G, sing in <laughs> with no G in, in the rain, <laughs> in the rain, splain in, <laughs> in the rain is a 1952 American musical romantic comedy film directed and choreographed by Gene Kelly and Stanley Donnan, starring Kelly, Donald O'Connor and Debbie Reynolds. It offers a lighthearted depiction of Hollywood in the late 1920s with the three stars portraying performers caught up in the transition from silent film to the talkies. I feel like we should talk like this for the rest of the episode. <laughs> no, I think that'll 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 do really good yes. for both your your uh, your future as a podcast ad reader and as an <laughs> audiobook reader. I think it'll show your versatility. I think right. it won't be annoying at all. <laughs> I don't really well, like these talkies, see? Yeah. Well, I mean it's interesting because like Gene Kelly choreographer uh you know, there's sort of like a tradition of that, like uh, Farrah mm-hmm. Khan, mm-hmm. I believe, uh, Om Shantyom. Was she not also a choreographer? Uh, yes, I believe she was, right? Yeah, I, she I was a choreographer. Yeah, she was and some... then she, choreographer slash director. Yeah, that makes so. sense. Well, directing is a very sort of choreography oriented job in terms of the visuals and cuts and how things move within the camera as well. So mm-hmm, I feel yeah. like as much as uh, working with actors is important, but just thinking about movement in general, I think is a natural well, if transition all your actors to are it. dancers. Then. It's perfect. It's even better. Yeah. It's like the guy that did John Wick. He understood stunts. Therefore, <laughs> he knew how to direct a stunt movie. He starred in, choreographed, and co-directed some of the most well-regarded musical films of the 1940s and 50s until they fell out of fashion in the late 1950s. Best known for this, An American in Paris and Brigadoon, also musicals. I have never heard of Brigadoon. Oh, wow. That one is one I don't think we should necessarily cover, at least in this form. Okay. Um, I've never seen Brigadoon, but Brigadoon is one of those, like, kind of notorious, like, high school musicals. It's very... Be- okay, Zach Efron was in it. You're saying or something old? I'm sure he's different. been in some version of Brigadoon. <laughs> like every every high school has done Brigadoon. I'm trying to think. Like, how do you explain Brigadoon? It's basically like uh, it's a time traveling village, time traveling Scottish village that appeals appears for like one night every seven. It's basically Outlander, but cute, and there's no rape, and it's a musical. Okay, that sounds the, wholesome. Skyland is moving forward in time rather than the opposite. Oh, okay. I like that. I like the time traveling element, but that's not really. It doesn't sound like a science fiction concept as much as it it's just sort magical of has realism. Magical like, realism. Okay. Yeah. So it's like this town that, you know, appears once uh, every seven years for 24 hours and then like goes back into the mist. I don't know how it ends. I just know that it's like a staple of uh, community theater and high school okay. musicals to the point where it's kind of notorious. One and day. also, I don't think anybody likes it. Like, it's just one of those like people do it. I was like, well, I guess it's Brigadoon year. Kind of like Annie. 
yeah, as we've said before, as the show dissipates in popularity and we lose all of our sponsors, eventually we will just start reviewing high school musicals traveling around <laughs> the neighborhood. So hopefully that day we'll see Brigadoon. Once start back up, yeah. yeah. <laughs> once, once the community theater see. Oh, oh, a side note. So Jenny Nicholson, while in Utah, mm-hmm. uh, doing a research for a video that should be out like in a week or two, um, just randomly was just driving around Provo or something and stumbles upon a community theater version of Tarzan, the Disney musical, what? the Disney Broadway version. And so, yes, the Phil Collins <laughs> musicals. And, <laughs> and she's like, yes, we're going. And so they absolutely go. And she saw what I am. I don't think I've been more jealous of a of a theater experience. Goodness. It was then Jenny stumbling upon to a community theater version of Tarzan <laughs> in Provo, Utah. That sounds like uh, quite the romp. That sounds yes. great. Look at all those white people saying <laughs> son of man in time. <laughs> Let's see. Debbie Reynolds died recently just after her daughter, Carrie Fisher. I'm going to put a triple sad emoji there. That, that was a trip. She died the day after. Yeah, literally the day. And I think it's interesting because a lot of people don't really know Debbie Reynolds as a movie star. Mm-hmm. Um, but like in a way, she was probably more famous than Carrie yeah, Fisher she was. Like in her day. Um, you know, because Carrie Fisher, that was before people were like carried by brands. And Carrie Fisher, you know, despite my love for her in particular in When Harry Met Sally, mm-hmm. it's mostly only known as Princess Leia. Debbie Reynolds was a huge star and only is recently only kind of more known uh, through her relationship to Carrie Fisher, especially the dramatic way that both of them died Ugh. and ruined an entire franchise. Did you ever watch the, I'm trying to remember, but there was a documentary that was on HBO about the two of them. Mm-mm. I forget what it's called, but it felt like Debbie Reynolds was like super codependent on Carrie Fisher. Mm hmm. And I almost feel like she died because she just was like, oh, my God, Carrie's dead. And then she just died, like, because she couldn't handle it. I mean, maybe that definitely happens, like, with spouses. Usually it's the male spouse where that happens, but it absolutely happens where, like, you know, one spouse dies, you know, and then the other one, like, soon follows. Yeah, I feel like she just died of, like, a broken heart or something like that. It's really No, I buy it. I mean, she was really old, and it's just, like there's this weird function of human behavior where Mm -hmm. it's sort of like your life partner dies. And then a lot of times your life partner is your child. Yeah. Yeah. Bye. And honestly like that, that like kind of like, that was the last celebrity death. I think I really like gave a shit about. Oh my God. It's devastating. Yeah. I think it's in particular like Carrie Fisher, like because she had just kind of come off of like, like IMHO triumph. That was the last Jedi, Mm -hmm. you know, the third, shitty movie probably would have been less shitty if she had you know been alive for it but it was also sort of like this you know culmination and triumph artistically that she never really got to live this has turned into the Carrie Fisher regret hour (laughs) (laughs) and I'm just patiently like listening because I love Carrie Fisher I'm like yes go oh yeah I I listen to her I listen to her audiobook if you want to speaking of audio if you listen to some audiobooks uh, the last audiobook she did was honestly really haunting because she narrated most of it but her daughter narrated the flashback portions Mm -hmm. of her reading her diaries of just being in love with Harrison Ford as like a 19 year old as we all are honestly yeah (laughs) it's honestly kind of like really captures what it's like to be like 19 and just like over the moon for someone who is never going to love you Mm. and uh, that was the last really the last thing she did but honestly like great audiobook did deserve the awards (laughs) You can, hopefully, we're going to get an Audible sponsorship on this episode, or this is just going to be kind of random. 
So sadly, Carrie Fisher's not in this movie, but Debbie yeah. Reynolds is. Uh, so it's like, you know, six degrees of separation, one degree removed from Carrie Fisher. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, okay, so Debbie Reynolds was nominated for her role in The Unsinkable Molly Brown, which is genuinely one of the worst things that Lindsay has ever seen. I have never seen it. I only know of Kathy Bates in Titanic when I think of The Unsinkable Molly Brown. Well, yeah, so just like imagine the worst version of a movie about the life of that character. Mm-hmm. And that is the unsinkable Molly Brown. It's a bummer. <laughs> it's like it starts with like, I'm a poor person in the old West. And she has this awful song about how I'm going to get rich by marrying rich and how I'm like a spunky, you know, old Western gal. And it, it's genuinely atrocious. I was like, it was hard. I had to watch it for the Titanic episode <laughs> that we did last year. And I was just like, wow, this is okay. Whew, Academy Award nominated, huh? Interesting. Okay, so uh, singing <laughs> Sing in the Rain was only a modest hit when it was first released. However, it has since been accorded legendary status by contemporary critics and is often regarded as the greatest musical film ever made, topping AFI's greatest movie musicals list. I didn't realize that it was regarded as number one. That's pretty crazy. Number one out of 25. No pressure. <laughs> yeah, they um, only went to 25, which I, I find right. interesting because usually the AFI 100 is like, it was like 100 laughs, 100 horrors, 100 movies. Musicals only went to 25. 25 musicals. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the cultural reevaluation of the film began in the 1960s with the likes of Francois Truffaut and Pauline Kael writing about the film. Said Kael, this exuberant and malicious satire of Hollywood in the late 20s is perhaps the most enjoyable of movie musicals. Just about the best Hollywood musical of all time. Roger Ebert plays Singing in the Rain on his great movies list, calling the film a transcendent experience, and no one who loves movies can afford to miss it. Ooh. Ooh. Sounds like a challenge. Yeah, right? Truffaut was very excited to meet the authors of Chanton's Sous la Pluie. What is this? Is that what it's, it's based French. on? French. Oh, Under the Rain. <laughs> the story of what that <laughs> translates to, right? I don't know. I just copied. I just thought it was funny that he's like, oh, it's, it's, it's like the princess in the front, like, Le Frat de Pruge. Sous la Pluie. Like, oh, you... You are the author of Chanton sous la pluie. Sous la pluie. Uh, he told them that he had seen the film so many times that he knew it frame by frame. A Broadway version of the film premiered at the Gershwin Theater in 1985 and ran for about a year. Uh, I imagine then it wasn't necessarily a huge deal, that uh, Broadway To my knowledge, no. This is an interesting thing to uh, tackle for an episode because it is one of the, you know, famed musicals that started as a movie, you mm-hmm. know, like, it's not like that. Those are like super, super rare, you know, Mary Poppins is one, all of the Disney movies count. So I guess this is kind of like one of the OGs where it's like, you know, in terms of like musicals that we remember, this one started as a movie, did make the jump to Broadway, uh, you know, and it, had, it kind of fizzled out. And I guess I would argue part of that is, you know, can you imagine La La Land, the musical? <laughs> Please, I just ate. I don't want to vomit everywhere, Lindsay, all over into the microphone. That's, so that's I mean, basically hurt. it would be like that. Like if La La Land uh, got, maybe maybe La La Land the musical would be good. Good, actually. I don't know. Maybe if they yeah, just Maybe it would be good, actually. Like- anyway, so uh, this was one that I, weirdly enough, kept insisting that we do, that I'd, that I'd add to this. Generally speaking, Lindsay's the person who decides what we do because so much of it is reliant on her being able to explain it to me. But this was one I was always interested in, not just because of its classic Hollywood status, which always makes it something that's more favorable for me to watch. But I want to say it was actually the trip that we went to New York last year in uh, whatever it was, February 2020 or January 2020. February. February. When we were flying back, um, Sarah was watching it on her little, you know, headrest TV. 
Uh, and one of my, this is a weird thing I like to do on planes, which is if I can sort of get a couple of different of the headrest TVs in my view, I just will sort of bounce between movies or like if people are watching something that's interesting, it's a fun way to sort of just gauge if a film is interesting visually, if you know, you're not like listening to any of it. Uh, and if one thing's boring, you can so go between one to the other to the other. And so I watched only about like five minutes of this on mute, which admittedly is absolutely not the right way to watch <laughs> fucking musical film like singing in the rain but But if it's a great movie then it should you know be able to tell its story at least a little bit visually and it was crazy i was like what the fuck and i just would periodically like look over and i'm like i don't it was just like colors and shit happening and it like it just looked really cool and so i remember and sarah was i'm not sure if it was the first time she had seen it or not but i just remember being like that looks cool we should watch that that looks like a good movie so i'm actually pretty excited for the visual aspect of it more than anything else i don't know any of the songs or anything except for you know, you know, you of course sing singing in the, in the rain yeah I feel like that's insane. all you really need to know yes and i remember it, we mentioned it too in the um Sound of Music episode as I was drawing a parallel between Sound of Music and fucking Clockwork Orange, mm-hmm. as one does. Well, Sound of Music was also in the AFI's top 25, so... What number was it? Do you remember? I think it was like number four. I'm like, now I'm just curious as what the top five are. Well, all right, yeah, let's do a quickie because I don't think we're going to do... Oh, we might. Yeah, I don't think we'll do most of these as movies. Uh, two of them we have already done. Okay. <clears throat> so <clears throat> at number five, Cabaret. Mm. And we will not be doing the movie version of that, at least not before we do the stage version. And the stage version apparently is being staged in London, starring everybody's favorite, Eddie Redmayne, mm. <laughs> trying to keep an open mind. Uh, <laughs> but we, yeah, bit like Cabaret is, you know, one of my top, you know, one or two favorite musicals of all time. So, really? yeah, we we might have to go to London for that one if I they do. End up don't threaten me with a good time. I'll go to London. Let's do it. <laughs> Let's do it. I've never been to London. Is the You've other thing. never been? Well, I've, You've I've never had. been? <laughs> to London. That was the most bougie thing ever. But <laughs> You've, I just never mean, been to, You've, You've never been to London? <laughs> I thought you were of a certain class. Yeah. You, you've traveled to many places. I figured it, of London's unavoidable to a certain extent if you just try to go to the, the European continent. Yeah, never been. I've been to Dublin like 8,000 times. Yeah. Um, I've uh, laid over in London once. I laid over at Heathrow, but I don't think that counts. I do not like Heathrow. It's not a great airport. Sorry, London. Right. Number Sorry, four Londoners. is The Sound of Music. Lovely. Number three is The Wizard of Oz. Mm, okay. Number two is... West Side Story. Yeah, interesting. Which I'm also like, I'm kind of like of two minds because West Side Story is widely considered a great film. Yeah. It is recently kind of well known as, at least in my circles, as Michael Bay's favorite film. I saw the Tony Zhu video yeah, as well. Yeah, you saw the Tony Zhao <laughs> video, yeah. However, uh, it's also being uh, restaged in New York. So. And Spielberg's I, doing it. Mm-hmm. We're going to have to do some, something probably with it. God damn it. Come on. Come on, on, Scott Rudin. I know we're not cool, but could you just just get that fucking thing off the ground? I don't I don't don't want to better. I don't want to review Ready Player West Side Story. Do you think that? And of course, number one is Singing in the Rain. Singing in the Rain. I feel like a lot of people I knew growing up, including myself. So some of those movies like Wizard of Oz and Sound of Music we saw all the time. But Singing in the Rain, I don't even think I casually saw on television. 
Mm-hmm. Was it something that you were exposed to? You think? No. Did you ever see it? At, I mean, Except not for that my you friend watched in high it, school but... who was like way too into it. Yeah. yeah, it's definitely like I feel like it is kind of like again West Side Story is like in hindsight kind of you know a little bit considered more high art than pop art, mm-hmm. even though West Side Story as it was released was very pop art. It you know basically like even as a Broadway musical was like sort of the wicked of its time. Mm-hmm. It was very like the big show. Yeah. It is kind of interesting to see how things get like reevaluated in hindsight. You look at Singing in the Rain and it's basically like at the time it was just sort of like a normal studio release mm-hmm. and in hindsight is basically been reevaluated as just sort of this critical darling, you know, as opposed to something like, you know, The Wizard of Oz or The Sound of Music which is just really ubiquitous and how yeah. do you judge that? outside of its ubiquity and it's really hard I feel like you know I guess I feel more confident about the sound of music because you know I did have a little more distance and I do think it is a better film than The Wizard of Oz mm-hmm. yeah. uh, but but yeah I don't know so I still think that The Wizard of Oz deserves its uh its status so Wizard of Oz is definitely the oldest except for uh 42nd Street which is from 1933 okay that's one of the first fucking soundies ever yeah basically <laughs> Uh, see, that's the thing about like Wizard of Oz is you also kind of got to take it on its, on its own terms. And man, that, that shit's old. It's going to be 100 years old in 20 years. Yeah, I was going to say they said uh, what in the summary it said this movie's about uh, Hollywood in the 1920s. So that's a like, fucking 100 years ago. Just yeah. I still forget Wild. that we're in 2021. Is it weird that we say like the 20s and it's like, oh, right, these 20s. <laughs> I keep thinking about the way we consider the 1920s, right? And then I'm like, mm-hmm. oh, the generation of kids that are going to be born in the 2090s are going to look at us like flappers and fucking. <laughs> yeah, it is weird. <laughs> like, no, I, don't th- I don't think that's true because I feel like the thing about the 1920s is they felt a lot more distance because the there wasn't really a record of, you know, that time before talkies. And then like, mm-hmm. as I feel like 1920 feels so much more distant from us than 1930, if that makes sense. Yeah, I could see that. Yeah. Because yeah. like after King Kong, we're like in the era of talkies. We're in the era of like instant like information and newsreels. And and we were like less than 10 years away from television. It's just interesting whenever you like look back in time, how like 1960 is or okay as a, as a as a recent for instance mm-hmm. we are further in time from when back to the future was made than back to the future's 1950s was set right 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 you know and it's just like it's the same length of time but the distance between 1950 and 1980 is so feels so much greater than the distance between uh 1980 and well, i guess 2010 wait okay no 30 years like, well anyway <laughs> 55 and 85, uh, 20, 85 and 2015, if that makes sense. Like the distance feels greater. Yeah, uh, true. I think honestly, because of the technology is a biggie. Yeah. Cool. Well, we're going to go sing in the rain, hopefully without, you know, not without coming in and drying off because otherwise you'll catch a cold. Is that a well, thing that you it, ever grew up with? That if you, if you go out with wet hair, you'd get a catch a cold. No. Is it with you? <laughs> yeah. That's like every every persian grandmother and and mother would be like don't go out with wet hair you're going to catch a cold is that cuz is it cuz they don't have rain <laughs> we have rain i thought you guys had rain we did I have rain i grew up in i thought you grew up in the bay area i grew up they, in the bay where area it's constant rain no it's like an old immigrant thing where they would just oh, be like it? oh don't just make sure you wear a jacket don't go out with wet hair i mean i guess i remember it from like cartoons yes no, we but don't. we're going to go sing. We're not going to be singing in the rain because we're in fucking California. We're yeah, going to be singing in the fire. Say, like, it doesn't rain here. No, it's weirdo. just catches fire everywhere. It but anyway, like, 
Yeah, we could go sing in the fire. We could go sing in the fire. <laughs> We're going to go sing in the fire and do yeah. a sexy ad read preview of Lindsay's next book. Actually, oh, yeah. no, not of your next book, but a no, preview yeah. well, of how you, the ad reads will be. Yeah, exactly. Do the audible thing and like, or, like you know, cub after dark. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Oh, boy. I'm scared to see what Twitter will do with that. But anyway, oh, okay, boy. great. Yeah. Yes. Oh, boy. <laughs> Hashtag cub after dark. <laughs> Let's do it. <laughs> I'm like we'll blushing s- now. I'm so yeah. embarrassed in advance. Okay, anyway, yes, we're gonna go watch and come back. <laughs> we'll see you after this. <laughs> this episode is sponsored by Curiosity Stream, a subscription streaming service with thousands of documentaries and nonfiction titles, such as Amazing Esfahan. In the heart of Iran is Esfahan, the most charismatic city in the entire country and often uttered in the same breath as Baghdad, Cairo, and Constantinople. Been a long time gone, Constantinople. Why did Constantinople get the works? Hey, that's nobody's business, but you know the rest. You can also get access to our streaming video service, Nebula, when you sign up for CuriosityStream using our code at curiositystream.com slash musicalsplaining. The Streamy Award-nominated Nebula is a video streaming platform built by and for creators. Not debaters, procrastinators, instigators, taters, haters, freighters, or even alligators, which you see laters. So, why do you need Nebula if we've already got CuriosityStream? Well, to be supportive for one. Uh, Another reason? Nebula is a place for smaller indie education type creators to try out new ideas that might not work out on YouTube. With Nebula, you can see original, you know, that thing that I don't like to talk about. Content. Uh, From creators like Cat Black. Jill Barrup, and of course, the unsinkable Lindsay Ellis herself. Right now, you can get CuriosityStream and Nebula for only $2.99 a month or $15 for the full year by visiting curiositystream.com slash musicalsplaining, and once you get the code, you'll get a welcome email from Nebula giving you access to the goods. And we're back. Back from the silky smooth ad read. Hope you guys uh, do our thing this week. We 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 had to we had to hustle to get that particular sponsor. But considering the you know uh, stuff, all of them. But that's what we do for you guys. <laughs> we're we're like we're like the starlets of Hollywood that we watch yeah. in this film. We work hard. We don't lie Here, about ourselves. Like, here's the thing. We <laughs> it's not a conflict of interest. I checked. We hawk a product and then ultimately we get you free shit. Exactly. The whole, like, you know, that's the whole thing, at least with the audible. Anyway. And anyway. also, yeah. <laughs> and the other one. And the other. And it's curiosity stream. They yes. Don't check. They don't uh, check. Anyway. So we watched a movie. Do you want to, uh, you want to grace us with right. the, with the summary right. like you usually do? How yeah. do we summarize this one? Singing in the rain is the story of a creepy asshole who is also <laughs> extremely famous and he you know started from the bottom now we're here he's like the drake of the silent movie era <laughs> but then one night he just gets too like attacked by his fans and he has to escape and then he like you know lands in this poor woman's <laughs> car that poor and woman like, He's like, please take me from point A to point B. And she's like, sure. And immediately he starts. Can you be my Uber? She's like, your Uber has arrived. (laughs) And of course, he just like immediately, he just immediately starts leching on her. Anyway, 
that's our our, our breeding pair. And breeding um, pair. <laughs> you make it sound like they're animals in a zoo. And uh, I honestly don't remember much else. <laughs> and then, you know, the silent movie era comes to a crashing halt when the jazz singer is released. Which, by the way, did you ever actually see the jazz singer? I've never actually seen it. I've seen parts of it. Mm. I've seen the musical parts of it. I haven't seen the talkie parts. I've, I, I've, okay. seen, I've definitely seen Mama. Mama. I mean, who could forget Mama? Like the fact that, like, um, you know, talkies sound like it's sort of basically like this idea of like the epic narrative feature film was was begat by birth of a nation Mm -hmm. well the jazz singer ain't much better it is a blackface film oh okay that's so not for great. those of you who did not know, the jazz singer. I didn't even know is, that. All I know about it as as being the first movie with sound, but I didn't actually see it or, no, or it, know anything it, about it, it. It stars Al Jolson in full blackface. Great. Okay, moving on. Uh, <laughs> anyway, so the jazz singer is a big hit, and then the head of the studio, which there's this fantastic scene where they're all sitting around watching the first rehearse not rehearsal what do you call it? it's like a test that they do of sound where there's an old guy being like i am talking to the camera this is synchronized sound oh, blah, yeah. blah, blah. and they're like that's, they're like, that's never gonna catch on no one's gonna ever want to see mo-. i thought that scene was really right. weird i was like really that's not even yeah, yeah yeah i was like that was definitely technology in 1928 but whatever right uh but then like you know everybody's like oh this technology won't catch on <laughs> but then it does and then um it turns out that uh gene kelly's co-star got um um, Betty Boop. Uh, <laughs> Carrie Fisher's mom fired because she was jelly oh, of I'm the sorry, fact that, yeah. yeah, but above the fact that um, Gene Kelly was leching on her. Uh, so then he continues to lech on her for the rest of the movie. And I don't remember much else. Yeah, right. Well, she accidentally <laughs> gave his co star a pie to the face. <laughs> Or sorry, cake to the face, not a pie to the face, because he managed to duck the way that dancers do because he's very agile and quick reflex. So Gene Kelly and Debbie Reynolds, like their breeding pair story basically coalesces by the middle of the film. Mm -hmm. And the real uh, conflict is with Lena, the silent film actress who can't talk or rather who can't talk a weird good. voice yeah yeah she, she can't has talk a bad English, no good I mean, she has a bad accent she has that <laughs> like 1930s new york Brooklyn. like i'm i'm from i'm from queens maybe i say turlet instead of toilet <laughs> the film culminates with everybody like working on this movie together where Debbie Reynolds plays the voice of Lena Lamont. And uh, everyone's like, Oh, well, you know, we're going to let find you out. Cause you know, Lena gets a little too big for her britches and uh, then they do. And then um, happily ever after. They're, they're really not kind to her. It's really kind of unfortunate that they make her into the villain of it. Well, she's a very uppity woman, right? That's she's a, this, <laughs> that's that's the biggest villain of the film. She's 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 like she doesn't know her place. Yes. Uh, <laughs> I kept thinking of like, where's where does she get her origin story where like it becomes like a whole spinoff, like from her perspective. Yeah. Where where's Cruella for Lena? Yeah, exactly. Lamont? That's what I was thinking. <laughs> I think this is her villain origin story where she's like, motherfucker, I was a star. People right, didn't like my she, voice. And then they just what, shit all was, over me. Was her mother pushed off a cliff by like a silent film <laughs> actor or something? No, it was like, by a talkie. That's the one who pushed her yeah, off a cliff. Yeah, it was a talkie. Right. It was by a singer, a, singer. a jazz singer, ironically. <laughs> I was very curious as to why you think this is ranked as one of the, or as probably like the number one musical uh, film of all time, or right? like it tops all these lists, right? 
And the main thing I was trying to think of based on the other ones that we've seen that we talked about that were on some of those lists was the dancing, right? The dancing seemed to be the biggest thing that separate, that differentiated it from all the other ones that, uh, at least I know, I, I don't know. I think you've seen pretty much all the ones that we went through. I guess. Well, I, I'm not, it's not that the dancing in this is not top notch, mm-hmm. but I, I guess I, I, I don't see what puts it a world above other things from the thirties and forties. Yeah, that's sort of what I was thinking, too, is, I mean, I think it's much more ambitious than some of the other ones that I've seen. It's it's bigger in scale. It's more colorful. It's it's got a lot more dancing. As I, It's got a lot of dancing, a lot of tap dancing specifically, which I think was like very much a favorite. But uh, did you read about the history of like what how it's written or mm-hmm. how it was written? So so it's technically a jukebox musical. So these are all songs that were in different movies from the 30s and shit. Oh. And then they just took it and they were like, cool, just grab these like seven or eight songs and then make a new movie out of it. And so they just created a script based around these songs uh, sort of to retrofit the catalog that was available to them. I mean, that makes sense. Yeah. Because of that, it. I mean, OK, so let me just say this up front. I, I, obviously, I thought it was phenomenally well done. It's beautiful. The sets are great. All the stuff I just said. I do think, though, for me personally, I found myself not really caring about anybody. I guess here's <laughs> my thing. I, if I'm being honest, yeah. I feel like the reason this one tops all of the lists is the same reason La La Land does, uh, which is, is a hashtag love letter to Hollywood. Yeah, I was going to. Th- that's one of my notes, too, because I'm th- yeah, because I'm thinking like, well, what do I think is better, at least of that era? And immediately my brain goes to Marilyn Monroe. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, I think some like it hot is, you know, a lot more entertaining. I think that gentlemen prefer blondes is a lot more entertaining. Neither of those kind of offend me in that, like grossed out by the main character way, mm-hmm. which is really, you know, I would say easy to do. But I think I honestly think gentlemen prefer blondes is great like feminists hate that movie Monday maybe one day we'll tackle it despite the fact that those both of those are kind of more iconic mm-hmm. as uh like they have more iconic scenes they're in a lot of ways their um, musical numbers are more well remembered mm-hmm. certainly a lot of their dialogue is they're not hashtag love letters to Hollywood yeah I think that's generally the bias that's that's what I was gonna say too <laughs> yep uh, Great. Well, uh, good night, everybody. Yeah, right. That's, it. That's the whole <laughs> that's it. That's, story. That's it. Thanks. So uh, remember uh, to like, like yeah. us on Patreon. <laughs> sign up for our Audible dot uh, Patreon dot subscription. Uh, just in case people who are listening to this don't know, uh, it, it is like a epidemic or within Hollywood where anytime a movie is about Hollywood. Or as, as you said, a love letter to Hollywood. Immediately, a it will be revered to by Hollywood. everybody to Hollywood. Or not even. Jesus Christ. Look at Crash, which just takes place in L.A. And won all of the Oscars. I mean, I only saw like parts of Crash that we had to watch in directing scene. And I was like, that's enough for wow. me. Wow. I mean, the fact that they even taught it is incredibly telling. Because yeah. holy shit. I seen Crash. I seen <laughs> it. I was there, man. I saw the crash as it happened. I mean, I think uh, so. I'm wonder. I'm actually curious now as to like how many people under the age of forty love this movie to the way the way that people over forty all sort of revere it. Well, I guess I knew one person that did. That's true. She was way too into it and I avoided it. 
And I'm curious as to why people under 40 love it, she, I, which is not to say well, I don't okay, think it's her great. Rationale is like she liked the dancing. Yeah. She thought Gene Kelly was cute. She thought the central love story was cute. I think she liked the idea of this sort of like blushing flower in the form of Debbie Reynolds character, mm-hmm. uh, you know, not like wanting to be a star, but not really. You know, I, I, I also have this feeling where I like I said, I liked it just fine. But there's this like guilt, maybe it's this Persian thing, but like I feel a guilt that like because it's such a classic and everybody loves it and it's like so revered mm-hmm. that I feel like maybe I'm missing something that like maybe it you didn't are a middle child because <laughs> <laughs> you're just like, I'm just like so entitled that I'm like, I don't give a fuck. <laughs> And okay. I'm like, maybe I'm wrong. I think it's the younger, ch- the younger sibling thing is yeah, probably yeah. what it is. Where I'm just As like, an only, yeah, we're just like, am I wrong? Am I maybe wrong? Maybe I'm wrong. Authority says yeah. that, that this is good, actually. So maybe I'm the idiot. Well, I didn't think it was bad. Obviously, like I thought there was a lot of it that I thought was great. No, no, it just, no. It I, I completely agree. It didn't it congeal just, at any point for me just yeah, as a story. I, I, I think part of me was like, I thought it would be about something other than Hollywood. Mm-hmm. I thought it would be a little bit more like Cabaret. Which in, in that it would be about like uh, World War Two is about to happen, that sort of thing. Right, right. You know, like like, like it, there would be like a context other than just the industry. And I think that the problem with the like it's a cutesy like, you know, there were a lot of cute little jokes that I guess hashtag only film people would get. And I guess we can come back to that. It's still it's not really about anything, you know, other than like just this really hollow thing that is very niche and like only a very, very small number of people have any like firsthand experience of. And it's also it's very self like deprecating, too, which is it's interesting. Like, it's very like, oh, yeah, everyone in Hollywood's a fucking liar. Like it even like the whole like construct of the story is that he's lying about who he is and where he came Mm -hmm. from. Yeah, yeah. Their relationship is a lie. Like, sure, quite literally. Yeah, the movie begins with um, Gene Kelly giving his backstory about how he became a famous movie star. And he just lies the whole time. And the joke is he's just like, yes, I went to like, you know, Juilliard and then I moved on to like the conservatory. And then it like shows him being like a vaudeville star and like, you know, being really poor and like, you know, and it's just (laughs) sort of like the joke is like he's Drake. He started from the bottom. Now we're here. (laughs) And for some reason lies about it. But basically, the you know, it's sort of one of these things where like the lyingness doesn't really come to anything other right, than right, right. Exactly. like it's not systemic you know it's not, it's not like a systemic issue it's just like this one bitch Lena Lamont is a liar and we need to do something about that even though thematically she's not lying. even a liar <laughs> <laughs> even though thematically artifice is just like woven into the fabric of Hollywood yeah and maybe maybe when we inevitably do La La Land, we can explore that. Well, be, oh, uh, maybe La La Land's a commentary on this. Maybe of some La La sort. Land. Maybe it's is, great, actually. Maybe La La Land is good, actually, because I know we have some La La fans <laughs> in the people, audience. Yeah, yeah, that are just like ready to be furious at our La La Land takes. La La's. <laughs> is that what they're called? I don't know. The La La stands. The Landers. La La Landers. La La stands. La La stands. Yeah, tell us what La La Land fans are called. Right, because I was, because, you know, again, in the beginning, it's not necessarily bad and it's set up as sort of like cheeky and funny. And then this person's a liar and that's a lie. This is a lie. And you're like, ha ha, like that's how Hollywood is. But it sort of still gives him the happy 
cliche ending, which feels like why set up the fact that everyone's a liar in the first place. Well, again, and I feel like there's a part of me that's just like, well, we're not meeting this movie on its own terms. Right. right. I don't think the movie meant to be the greatest musical ever because I genuinely don't think it is. I wouldn't even honestly put it in the top 20. Like, I, I wouldn't put it in the top, like. Of of all the 50s musicals I've seen, I don't yeah. even know if I'd put it in the top five. Interesting. You know, I don't think it's a good musical. I think it's like, it's got music in it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I think it, it's a great dancicle. I think the dancing is very great. good. Oh, sorry, Especially now knowing that it's a jukebox musical. It's yes. like none of the songs are very memorable. Except for Singing in the Rain, which is like the the, the lead song. and Which um, I found the part to be the most the biggest suspension of disbelief in the entire film was right, there would you know be it, raining in Los Angeles. Do you know what it does point. not do in LA? <laughs> rain ever. And when it does, it does not look does like, not that. like that. It's just like, there are two <laughs> modes in LA, desert and, and hurricane fire. There's like, there's the two genders, like furious, like screaming torrential rain and like the fire of hell increasingly less and less of the former actually you know here in in beautiful sunny long beach california we had a lovely 75 degrees (laughs) a lot of fireworks yeah and fireworks yeah because he's just like it's fucking 95 out and i'm like bro it's 75 down here you gotta (laughs) and we only live like what 30 miles away it is like it is astonishing it's crazy Um, yeah yeah like how how how, like incredibly different the the weather can be anyway singing in the rain come on (laughs) there's no rain there's no rain and singing in the rain that's the that was the first fault I don't know. I, I just I think the thing is, like, I really feel like we're picking nits yeah. because we went into it with this expectation of hashtag musical greatest of musical time. ever. Yeah. And it's fine. It's very competent. The direction is very comp. The cinematography is great. There's a lot of really great dancing. You know, there were a lot of much better movies like I think like Casablanca is a really good example yeah. of something that was like made in the era of the era. And if you rewatch Casablanca, you're like, Holy fuck, I get it. I get why this is That's like That's funny that you brought that up specifically because I also had that note. Or I was going to say almost the exact same thing where I was like, All right. when you tend to watch, well, you already said it, but yeah. yeah. <laughs> when you tend to watch old movies, there's always like a disconnect just because it's old. But some of them you watch and you're like, oh yeah, this movie fucks. Yeah. Or like, yeah, yeah, yeah. this actor is like on point or like, I love this guy or this girl. Right. And like, it's I can see why they've you know, been so popular for so long because that appeal is never ending. Yeah. I've actually kind of been like, um, like early in the pandemic, I got real big on a Rudy Valentino binge. Mm -hmm. So Rudy Valentino, uh, who we know as most famously, he was a star of the chic, but he was a huge star in the 1920s Mm -hmm. and he could never have, um, transitioned, uh, into talkies because he had a really, really thick Italian accent. Mm, okay. Then you have someone like Lon Chaney who also didn't have a great speaking voice, but like his whole thing was like, cause Lon Chaney, I'm like, holy shit, we should do a content on Lon Chaney. You know Lon Chaney, right? Of course. Yes. Cause he like, not only was he like one of the biggest actors of the silent film era, he did all his own makeup. So he was like the oh. OG. Yeah. He was the OG, like, 
designer for makeup, all like the Phantom of the Opera. He did that to himself. That's awesome. Like he put wires in his face. Like he like hardcore. was yeah hardcore. So, so and and then you look he at was like the Buster Rick Keaton. Baker and the yeah. <laughs> DiCaprio like, of his day you know, combined into one. Yeah. <laughs> or uh, D- or what's it? Doug Jones and Guillermo del Toro. Sure, all yeah, of them yeah. wrapped into one guy. Um, and so you look at like Buster Keaton and Charlie Chaplin and Lon Chaney and Rudy Valentino. And I guess I'm not entirely sure what point they're trying to make with this like dumb leading man of the 1920s, because I'm not sure who that is. Like, who is that meant to be? Because like the the great leading men of the 1920s were actually really talented. They just weren't necessarily talented in the way that like, I don't know, Gene Kelly is. No, and and oddly enough, the part that I thought was the best of the, or the part that I enjoyed the most in the film was that section of, like, they recreate, where he's, like, doing the Broadway Mm -hmm. pitch to the, to RF. Oh, oh, right. And he's just like. About that. Well, I was just going to say, it's, he's just like, oh, we still got to shoot this Broadway sequence. And it's this beautiful sequence. And, like, the set Mm -hmm. design is incredible. And then there's that beautiful ballet sequence where she's got that really long veil. It's so great. It's so well done. And it's, it's. It's silent, which is what's weird. Like there's like there's not a lot of singing. There's a lot of music. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> because that's how it's done. And that's why Tom Hooper is a fucking idiot. And that's why. <laughs> yes, actually, you do use playback sound. No, you don't sing on set, you fucking moron. Ugh. <laughs> but what I was saying earlier was I thought that that was the most interesting sequence in the film. Mm-hmm. And it was it, it sort of was strange to me because it was he's doing this pitch to the studio executive about this whole fucking talkie that they're making. And it's this long section where no one's talking like there's no dialogue. There's I mean, he's like you said, there, there's a little bit of singing in it, but it's mostly just music, mm-hmm. which kind of was weird. I mean, it wasn't bad. It just I mean, sort of was like, uh, OK, technologically, it's relevant because the technology was fundamentally the same. You know, like basically the technology was like that the sound and the film are on the same strip and all of the sound like and I was just like I had a bunch of notes here. I'm like, do we want to get into this? Um, because should. the thing about the thing about like sound and film is like all of the sound is edited on a different track. Mm-hmm. And um, that, this was like super doubly mega so earlier. Like, I mean, I guess it's always true. But basically, it, I, as I was watching it, I was thinking about. USC Tom Holman and and how (laughs) our very, very first thing we have to do at USC is a film with no sound. Oh, with no no dialogue is what we had. You're allowed to have sound when I did it. You're I mean, sound like you can have sound effects, but it wasn't like sound effects, but you didn't have the sound kit. You weren't supposed to bring a mic. Yeah. No, no, you so, can do it in post. You throw right, music exactly. in the background and shit. You can throw, yeah, you can do whatever you want. But yeah. like, basically, like, there's no dialogue and you're not supposed to have a mic. And it's only after you shoot with the sound, like, oh, there's supposed to be a dedicated guy yeah. to be the sound guy that you realize, like, holy shit. And one of the funny things that I noticed is, like, there's this um, scene that, again, like, no one would find funny if you didn't work in the industry mm-hmm. where they're um, shooting all of these, like, different like movies like right next to each other on this soundstage. Yeah. Minus the soundstage. Oh, yes, yes. I actually have the same thought. I know exactly (laughs) what you're going to say. Where it's just like, there's like a, a, like a Western next to a Roman epic next to a, you know, a a romance. And they're all like 30 feet away from each other. And Gene Kelly and the head of the studio are having a conversation as they walk by this or, and, um, and the joke is that like, this is what they're having to give up because 
when you work with sound, mm-hmm. it's such a pain in the ass. It really is. Like, and, and, and I, I was also thinking about how funny it was, like, whenever people ask like even today i was wearing a ucla shirt just because it was i saw that i was like what i was like it looked like you were like i I saw that on instagram i was like what are you doing you're throwing fists what the fuck look bitch i don't have any usc shirts that fit and also you know what maybe ucla wasn't in the fucking flight pass unlike some film schools because (laughs) that was the thing was we had to okay so we're gonna film on on sunday And oh, but you know what happens on Sunday is the football school. And you know what? I don't, you know, fuck the football kids. Fuck football because they made our lives miserable. And you know who else made our lives miserable? LAX. LAX you know made our lives miserable. Sound. So yeah, I, I was just like, there was a lot of, I guess that's like, there's a lot of weird, like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that I, but only I would get that, you know, because it's yes. like, I wasn't just like, you know, not a film, not just a film kid. I was a sound person. I was you the were, sound. Yeah, yeah, you did sound yeah, for that documentary. Yeah. I no, yeah, that was my specialization. I was a sound major, and, and you sat and you studied under arguably like one of the most important sound people right. in the fucking entire industry, Tom Holman. Who Tomlinson Holman on his who, test, every test we took in his fucking class, the last question would be it would be like multiple choice, and he was like, "What is THX named after?" I think we've already mentioned this. Remember? <laughs> no, no, we haven't. Oh, and it's the Tomlinson Tomlinson Holman experience. No, no, no. Okay, kids. All right, we have to tell our Andy Dick story. <laughs> Everyone has an Andy Dick story, and it's time. I don't want to reveal my Andy Dick story. Are we going to do part of it? Like we can do, we can do part of it. Cause okay. I, I have a very specific memory of like, okay. My feeling, like my portion of the Andy Dick story is very funny. Yours is. Cause yeah. Cause uh, we, all right, here's our Andy Dick story. And I promise sound comes into this. <laughs> Everyone in LA has an Andy Dick story. It is sort of like, I mean, it's just like, is he uncancelable because he's just fucking that piece of shit. much I of a piece guy. of shit. Okay, so basically, uh, when we did our documentary that I directed and Kaveh produced, we were one of three. Basically, every semester, there are three advanced documentaries at USC. Mm-hmm. And the other one, one of the other ones was a raw food documentary mm-hmm. about the raw food movement in L.A. And pretty late in the game, that team decided, hey, you know who's really into raw food at this moment? Andrewson Dickinson. <laughs> and... Uh, they got him to narrate it. Mm-hmm. So I remember like my, my parents were in town. Neither of them were super happy to be there considering the topic of the film. Um, <laughs> Nella was there. My, my, uh, was my Nella best there? friend. Yeah, she was there. Oh. Cause I remember you. I knew who Nella was. I didn't remember. Yeah. So Nella was there and I remember you walking up to me and Nella next to the theater. And you were like, Hey, Andy Dick is getting high about 30 <laughs> <laughs> He was smoking the smelliest roach. It was so gross. Andy Dick is getting high about 30 feet over there in that direction. And we were like, why is Andy Dick here? And you you were like, because he narrated the raw food movie. (laughs) And we were like, "Mm, cool. And so that was before I was like a total burnout. Like, and it's honestly kind of impressive that I didn't immediately just like get wasted. But for some reason, I was sober. And I was a big night for you that night. Usually I like in my 30s, I'm always wasted for those. I'm like, I don't want to remember this, uh, although I'm glad I do remember this. So Tomlinson Holman is like when we say he's like one of the sound greats, like he he like rose up alongside George Lucas. Yeah. Like they are, you know, he he's like this weird, like, you know, 
space brain nerd, he always wears a bow tie Mm -hmm. to every single class we ever did. Mm -hmm. And so the way it works at USC is usually they will kind of save the, I don't want to say the best one, but (laughs) (laughs) I'm much more modest about this, but okay, sure. I mean, both times. Okay. So both for 508 and 547, they like pulled me aside and be like, you're the good one. That's why you're going last. (laughs) Did they not do that for you? I, I'm not going to flex, but yes, they, I also yes, did that yeah. in my 508. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So they were like, all right, so you're the good one. That's why yeah. you're going last. Our, our, trio, so, our trio screen last for 508 as well. So we went last. Speaking of being in the weeds and people being like, what the <laughs> fuck are you two talking about at this point? All right. So, all right yeah. Okay. Yeah. Poor Paul. He's going to have to, he's going to have a Poor a our audience. Time. They're going to be like, what are these numbers? <laughs> no, what are you talking no, about? This is going to make sense. All right. So 508 is semester two. 547 is the advanced project. It's the documentary which is what, class. Which is we what did. we're talking right. about right now. And so. So uh, raw food went first and our abortion documentary went last out of three. Mm-hmm. So Andy Dick uh, at the front of <laughs> or no, he was at the back of the theater with me and Tomlinson Holman. Mm-hmm. This is a pretty big theater. And I just remember like Andy Dick's voice coming over the you know <laughs> sound system and then Andy Dick's actual voice being like who the fuck is that you know just saying shit <laughs> like that like that guy sounds like he takes it up the ass and like saying <laughs> shit like that and everyone just be like holy shit really so this man is like ruining these people okay like I say student film it was a student film but these people are like in their 20s so like it was a they're big deal. Sh- they're not children, but it is a big deal. This is a USC, like, you know, advanced project. And so Tomlinson Bowtie Holman <laughs> physically gets up oh, and removes Andy Good Dick from him. the room. <laughs> and do you know what Anderson Dickelson does? <laughs> what does he do? He immediately went to the reception. Oh, and started drinking. And started drinking. That's why I he was this. so shit faced that night. I mean, I think that's usually he was. No, but. I know. But yeah. But by the time we got there, I remember you and one of the other producers for uh, I think it was 546 mm-hmm. um, was like almost all of the wine is gone. gone yeah. <laughs> almost all of the wine that we bought for 300 people <laughs> is gone. And he weighs like 45 pounds. <laughs> it's gone. <laughs> Ugh, what an asshole. That's La La Land, baby. Yeah, right. Andy Dick, if you consider this slander, uh, I don't know. Prove it didn't happen, motherfucker. Yeah, right. I got shit. witnesses. Yeah. Fucker. I agree. Just drink all our wine. <laughs> that was my wine. I know that because I remember that night way too clearly. Anyway. Anyway. So that's Hollywood. So. And that's why Hollywood should not be romanticized. Or it can, it can be mocked the way that they tried to mock it, but follow through with the mocking of it. Don't just give it a happy ending at the end. Have a problem with a happy ending, you know. I think again, we're kind of doing this thing where you're like, Well, it's the greatest ever, it needs to be making like a grand epic point. And eh. I bet you pe- there are people listening to this right now who are going to yell at the phone or at the podcast, being like, Anti dick fans right. that are like, He's uh, he's troubled, they're like, We don't he's, watch he's this movie for the plot. He has, he's coming, he has a lot of trauma. Right. Have you have you considered that he has a lot of trauma and that's why he like screams and drinks all of the student film wine? <laughs> Student film wine would be a great name for a winery if we yeah. ever open one. <laughs> That's gonna be our post-apocalyptic. Yeah. Student film yeah. wine, like fuck you, Coppola. We got our next our next thing is gonna be student you jo- film wine. Okay, you joke, but like yes. we're gonna like That's gonna be our next our, business venture. Yeah, all of our Twitter mentions are gonna be like, okay, so student, student film, film wine. wine win. 
But the other thing was like, I, the thing that did kind of perk my interest up was like, it reminded me a lot of um, Om Shanti Om. That's what I was going to say. Oh my God. Yes. <laughs> same thing. In a lot of ways. I, I but the, uh, the other, again, the other note that I had was setting a movie or even a musical inside of a movie studio is a fantastic way of being able to just go for, it's perfect for ADS, ADHD people like me who are like fucking can't hold my attention for anything and just being able to go from set to set to set and being able to get really creative with it and have a lot of different colors and stuff changing out. And it's, it's a lot more fun that way. Although it unfortunately does always end up being sort of like you said, a love letter to Hollywood, but it is a great idea for a set. Yeah, it's weird. I I was thinking like the last note I said was, is this why Americans have such a weird aversion to dubbing? Because you think it's like morally reprehensible. Yeah, like obviously in Bollywood, that is not the case because I've never I've never seen dubbing framed as like bad or wrong or like some sort of deception. But yeah, I think that's like sort of the big difference to me, like between that and like uh, a movie like Om Shanti Om. But I guess I think another thing about Om Shanti Om is it's also about something right. that's not just the industry. Like the the plot has arguably nothing to do with the industry. It's it's a revenge plot. Well, I don't know if I said this during the Om Shanti Om episode or not, because it's been a while. So I apologize if I'm repeating myself. But I think in terms of the American psyche, Americans, unfortunately, tend to be like, fuck you. We're going to go out on our own. We're independent. We do everything by ourselves. We don't need anybody fucking wild West manifest destiny, that kind of shit. So the idea that you would be a person who needs the help of somebody else to do your voice or needs you to, it's the same reason why like a lot of people hear shit on pop musicians for not writing their own songs. Like, right. Oh, like you're not like your own person who does all of it. Like, fuck you. You're just like Maybe. a thing that's made by like this industry, even though at the same time, we're the people who make fucking industry. Well, you look at like, you know, Britney Spears and how everyone is like suddenly all in on Britney Spears, despite the fact that she was absolutely one of those people that no, did not write her own music. Mm-hmm. But now I think everybody's just like, Oh, wait, but you do have value as a performer, yeah. you know, just like that. Oh, that's your thing. Like, you know, you can have value without being like an octuple threat. And I guess maybe I don't know. Maybe I think maybe that's inherently a, American. I think it's that like, yeah, it's you that, have like, to be excellent everything. at everything. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's all it is. I mean, I think it's also just like that's uh, kind of the weird paradox of the silent film era and why so few careers successfully uh, transitioned is because they were such different skill sets. And I guess arguably the only one that did was Charlie Chaplin. And even then, like, I feel like he kind of exited on his own terms, arguably. You look at like silent era Charlie Chaplin and talky era Charlie Chaplin, it almost feels like two different genres, yeah. right? Like they're so different. And I just feel like there is a um, a point to be made here about just how different a world the film industry was during the silent era in terms of talent and what they expected people to do um, and what your, uh, you know, toolkit included but I don't really feel like this movie paid very interesting homage to that. Mm-hmm. Um, and if I had to, if that was sort of my main, like, mm, you know, it would be that. Like, I just feel like it didn't really explain why silent film was a different skill set. It just kind of made it into a comedy, which is like, oh, they just pantomimed and talked funny mm-hmm. and then were replaced by people who could act. It, it's also hard to overstate. Like, cause I was trying to think of any kind of parallel, right? 
but like within the film industry, there's been all these advances in technology, but I can't think of anything that's as much of a fucking, right. like just a yeah. monumental shift as sound. Right. Because right, yeah. you could even have people like. People keep trying to be just like, oh, well, CGI no. or like mocap or like, no. None of none it. None of those. Yeah. Like, everybody can transverse. Yeah. I think sound is, it was such a fucking big, it just, it yeah. fundamentally changed the way that the entire medium was done overnight. Exactly. It's, yeah. It's, it's, it's like. It's so huge. Yeah, because like it was like opera without noise, yeah. and then suddenly it's just stage on film. So singing in the rain, totally far fetched because of the rain. That yeah. was the biggest criticism we had. Yeah, of that it. that was it. Like it, we don't. It's not only we don't have cobblestone streets either. <laughs> and no one in L.A. carries an umbrella ever <laughs> for any reason, even in the 1920s. Not a thing that happens. That's uh, why we live here. Yeah. Right. Uh, anyway, so it was a movie. We watched it. We're glad we did. <laughs> <laughs> we had some thoughts. And I, hope you, I hope you guys enjoyed our dick story. <laughs> uh, we're going to be taking the next uh, right, episode we're, we're take, off. We're, well, we're taking half of it. We're, we're going to be taking like a weird break where normally we do it every two weeks. We're going to do the next one um, three weeks from now. Yep. Lindsay's, Lindsay's some, running yeah. away. Yeah, some of us are escaping into nature. We're running into, or off into the grid, so we will don't look for us in two weeks, unfortunately. Yeah, but if I if I disappear from social, it's only half because I it's, hate you it's all. It's not because you were canceled; it's because you were yeah. canceled by nature, I guess, or something. Anyway, yeah. uh, speaking of social media, please follow us on Twitter at Musical Splainin, much like singing in the rain. Uh, on Instagram, we are at Musical Splaining with a G. Musical Splaining in the Rain, which is Musical not a thing that happens. Musical Splaining in the Rain. That, should be a, that would be a good poster art if somebody who makes poster art for us. If only, if only, if only we knew a graphic designer of some sort. <laughs> or an mm-hmm. illustrator of some sort who would yeah, do it and weird. wasn't lazy. Yeah, too bad. Uh, <laughs> I have so many chops. Mm, yeah. uh, on Instagram, yes, at, at Musical Splaining on Instagram. It's too bad this one doesn't make you any money. <laughs> if uh, only... If, if only I was rich. Uh, and then I am at Covetarian on Twitter and at Permafriends on Instagram. Please check out my fun avocado chronicles. I've been having a good time with them, getting wild and wacky. Uh, uh, please don't follow me. Leave me alone. Don't follow Lindsay. Do go to all those fancy sponsor links that we've put up. Yes. Uh, help and us then out. We'll, we'll, yeah, we'll talk about Cave After Dark later. <laughs> Please, uh, you know, if you get a chance, if you're enjoying the podcast, uh, go ahead and leave us a review. Uh, tell your friends about it. Do whatever you can to spread the word. You should. What do we call musical splaining stands? The splainies? La la stands. La la stands. <laughs> They're all the same. <laughs> it's like the. Yes. It's like it's it's, it's like a the, circle. Uh, it's not a Venn yeah. diagram. It, it's it's the uh, it, it's the astronaut meme. <laughs> They're all La La Land fans. Right? They always have been. Always have been. <laughs> Well, anyway, thanks, kids. Thank you guys uh, for listening. We'll be back soon with another something yeah. or other. We don't if know I, yet. If I, if I survive my sojourn, we'll see you in a few weeks. See you at the theater. Good night. <laughs> <laughs>